Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am, I think thrilled isn't the big enough word to use right now, but I am, frankly, just excited and delighted to welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show my friend, John Travolta. John, how are you today? Hi, Dana. How are you? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to, to just chat with me a little bit. The short film we're going to talk about today is The Shepherd, which is currently streaming on Disney+. And John, before we get started, I watched this the other day. And when I was uh-huh. watching it, it just seemed to me, I, I kept saying to myself... I know this story. I know this story uh-huh. and I couldn't pinpoint it. And then I started thinking about it and I'm originally from Canada. I lived there till I was 15 years old and it dawned on me that when I was a kid, they would air this on CBC radio. Uh, That's like, absolutely correct. Yeah. Around Christmas time. They would do, yeah. yeah. They would do a, a yearly uh, around Christmas time. And I had my family listen to it as well from 1990 on. Or 1991, we would listen to it every year. That same broadcast that they did in in Canada, and it's uh, it was something we all looked forward to, you know. And uh, it was based on a book, obviously Frederick Forsyth. And uh, I bought the rights to it. Uh, gosh, about uh, 20 years ago, or maybe 25 years ago, I owned them for six or 10 years, the rights. And then I got so busy with movies, I thought, well, I'm, I'm never going to be able to really do this. So I, I gave them up. And then um, some other, uh, well, Ian Softley and Bill Kenwright uh, bought the rights and decided to do it and include me because they knew I had wanted to be involved in it. And at first, uh, Dana was just as a producer. And uh, then they said, well, would you even consider playing the shepherd? I said, well, you know, I might. Let me think about it. Because, uh, you know, I originally wanted to do the young pilot. I thought, well, I'm certainly too old to do that, but I'm not too old for the shepherd. And I think I will uh, say yes to that offer. So I got an executive uh, producer credit as well as as be- being the uh, the opportunity to be the to be the shepherd. So um, I was very, very pleased with the whole outcome. It really is a special thing for me. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I mean, I, obviously, I know the the, the 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 clear answer of what drew you to this project. I think is, uh, I would think, would be partly the aviation aspect. But I'd love to know what was it specifically about the Shepherd that you know you're like, I need to buy the rights to this. Like, what was it about that particular story well, that really there, spoke there to you? Sort of a coincidence in my life and the book. Two two things, and this is before I I purchased the book years ago. Um, I um, I owned a vampire jet, which is actually one of the characters in the movie is the plane that the young man flies. It's a it's a first generation British uh, uh, military jet, and uh, it was used as a trainer. But they were thinking of using it uh, in other uh, as, as a, in other warfare as well. But it was at the end of the war that they built this. Anyway, I bought one in 1988 or nine. And I kept it for three years and I flew it all the time because it was so love. It was just such a lovely plane to fly. So that grabbed my attention because the cover of the book has a, the image of a vampire jet on the, on the cover. Then unfortunately about uh, two years after I bought the, the plane, I, I had a different uh, plane, a corporate jet that I was flying 1992 and in, in 1992 and I had a total electrical failure. So I know and knew what it was like to to have the 
panic and the fear of of actually thinking you're not going to make it. So anyway, cut to, I don't know, a, a few months later after uh, these, these, the purchase of the plane uh, happened and I was three years into it. And then this, and then this incident happened. Um, and then I see this book in a bookstore with a vampire jet. I had no idea that it's about an, a pilot going home for Christmas and he loses all his electrical uh, uh, fare in the, in the cockpit. And I said, well, this is t- ironic. This is, you know, I owned one of these, and then the character loses all his electric, like I did in the in the Gulfstream plane. And uh, I got to read this, and I fell in love with it because I never anticipated that it would be also so moving and so hopeful and so um, have a real significance and beyond the holiday spirit of the goodness of man and and help helpful how helpful he is and need needs of of despair and i just loved it it was just brilliantly uh, executed so that's why i uh, fell in love with it because i had real real honest to goodness reality with it something i really knew on i knew the airplane itself and i knew what it was like to to lose um lose that magnitude of of flight and uh you know you have your engine it's running fine but you can get lost in space because there's nothing to guide you. So that's what the character goes through. And then my character, um, well, as it's not really a spoiler because it's in the trailer, but he, he comes along in a different type of World War II machine called Mosquito. It's a twin engine plane that was used in World War II. And, uh, I'm, I'm his shepherd. And, uh, it's just so, so beautiful. And, I love the music in it. The music is spectacular. It's almost like its own character as well. So you have like four main characters. You have the young pilot. You have me as the shepherd. And you have these two aircraft. And uh, well, actually, then the music is like a fifth character. But the scenery, too, the, the visuals in this little movie are so spectacular, you know. And then when you, you do Carol of the Bells as that little jet takes off and in the midnight sky with the stars sparkling in the snow-capped mountains of Germany. It's just the mixture of that is, is just amazing. You know, It really struck me when I was watching it the first time, and, and you really just touched on it. It's a visually striking film. Uh, breathtaking is kind of the word that I was I would use to describe it. I was I, I was in awe, and I'm somebody who uh, is a big aviation enthusiast, and so right mm. off the bat, I was sort of uh, enamored with uh, with the De Havilland Vampire right away because it was a plane that I wasn't too familiar with, and it was interesting how this movie sort of created this that's call to action for me to, to learn as much as I can about this. And, and to find out that you actually owned one of these planes, I think is just incredible. And I have to ask you real quick, and I don't want to go too much on a, you know, a side tangent, the avionics, everything that is in that plane, it's, it's from, like you said, the late 1940s, early 1950s. How drastically yeah, the, different. The, the scenario takes place in 1957. Uh, which would be over 10 years after they stopped making this type of aircraft. Um, but they were still using it in training for the, in the British 
uh, Air Force, and so they had bases all over Europe, and they would still use it. It was a great trainer uh, for for fighter jets as well. Um, uh, so you were saying you're asking? Well, I was I was just curious, you know, given the the the, the all the different planes that you've had the uh, the pleasure of of piloting, was this your first sort of single seat jet plane jet, you know, trainer uh that you that you had the opportunity to fly? Well, I'd actually owned a Citation jet, which is also a single pilot jet prior to this. Um so I wasn't um unfamiliar with flying alone in the jet at all. Um, It was just that this had a little more personality and character to it because of its history. And it was so simple. It was so simple. You know, it was just literally a jet engine and about five instruments. You know, uh, there's no complexities at all to it. Um, Matter of fact, the little training book on it was about maybe 12 or 15 pages long. You know, that was it. And you had to uh, fly it, uh, you had to train in it uh, on your own because it was only one seat. So when the federal, when the FAA came out to test you, they basically took your little book, they asked you the speeds of the plane and when the gear comes down, what speed is it when the flaps come in, you know, and what do you do if this happens or that happens? And it takes about 10 minutes to answer those questions. And they go, okay, we'll watch you do three takeoffs and landings and Good luck, but you become a test pilot at that point yeah. because you've never you've never flown it before. So that's what I I, I did, and uh, that was a, a just a wonderful experience in its own. You know, just incredible. So so coming back to to the the, the project itself, you know, you said that you, you you had the rights for a while, and and then it, it looks like you know the project's going to be a go and they ask you to come on board and you know like you said you've got the executive producer role as well tell me about the production of the film where did you guys uh, where where did where did you film this we filmed it in england um and there was one example left of a, of a vampire jet still flying which we, we were very lucky and then we put pieces of another one together for the the shots of the the actors and them and they and there was a there was a mosquito plane uh, in a museum that we used and then um there was a flying example of that but the actual shots just were in we needed other uh, uh st- you know stationary examples so uh we had that and we had flying ex- two flying examples as well um, but it was in the outside of probably about two hours outside of London, maybe three. Uh, and it was in the countryside, uh, at an airport, just like the one that was in the movie that he lands at. And, uh, uh, we shot it, you know, it was about a three week or four week shoot. And, um, this actor was so, so brilliant in, in this role. Um, Radcliffe, he, he's so subtle. He's so um, nuanced because he didn't know how to fly a plane, but you'd never know it. Yeah. And uh, his despair was right on the money. I mean, it was so uh, vivid, you know, and, and real. And it's he's really the heart of the movie, you know. Uh, I come along and match that, but it's not if – he, if he doesn't work in it, um, you don't uh, – the movie doesn't work. Do you know? So uh, I'm really impressed with him. And the production was all 
Oscar nominated people or Oscar winners, Alfonso and, and the guy who the, the cinematographer was the guy who did Gladiator. <laughs> Alfonso won an Oscar for uh, Roma. He had a high quality group at the helm of this. And Ian Softly, the director, has a lot of great uh, work as well. So, you know, you're really, um, you're really d- dealing with pedigree to begin with. And I didn't appreciate it as much until I was in the middle of how professional everybody was and also how willing they were to listen to my advisories on, on aviation because I knew more than all of them did as far as details are concerned and what should be said or not said or what, how it should be described or, um, or sometimes how it should be shot based on my knowledge, you know? So let me just ask you this, because recalling the, the listening to it on the radio, then this would have been 30 plus years ago for me. Oh, I, um, I went ahead and got the, the audio book. Uh, shortly after watching The Shepherd, and it occurred to me listening to it, and it, it comes in at about an hour and ten minutes. The uh, the actual novella that uh, Forsyth wrote, but the movie, or excuse me, the the uh, actual story is told from a first person narrative from the character of Freddie and the shepherd. Uh, the short film uh, is not told. Well, it's essentially his story, but something you said really resonated with me, and that is. You know, when you read the short story, it's from the first person narrative. So you understand what Freddie is thinking and what he, you know, what emotions he's going through and sort of the way that he translates that in the, the way that uh, Ben Radcliffe translates that in this is, is brilliant. How involved were you with, you know, when you saw the actual screenplay, uh, you know, whether it was there any notes that you gave, was there any changes that you said? Oh, I had a lot of them. Yeah. I had a lot of them because I said, you know, because it, it couldn't be exactly like the book and they had to change the narrative to some degree, we were demonstrating and articulating it uh, differently. And I said, you, you can't be erroneous here now that it's coming to, to, to an articulation. This is how we would do it if if you were really in the plane and you really were leading someone down or if the person were uh, noticing these failures one after another. This is what he'd have left. This is what he wouldn't have left. And I said, you know, for instance, I said, you've got to I said, you have a, a mercury kind of uh, I mean, a, a, a water compass that that would be um, semi accurate. But we have to make sure that that that's failing too, that there's something erroneous with it. Um, so he has no sense of direction now, you know, other than Celestial, which he's not going to do because he doesn't have the equipment in the plane to do that. So I said, we have to have no, uh, no uh, recognition of navigational aid at all. Now we're in trouble, you see. So, uh, you know, because I said, if you keep some of these, uh, if you keep some of these instruments alive, then, you know, we're, we're not, we're, he, he's not going to have the drama that he needs, you know? So it's tiny things, but even the instructions on when the gear goes down, uh, the speeds he's to, uh, to hold the speeds he's to, to descend per minute, all was what I wrote, you know, as though I said, look, just let me, bring him down as if I were going to bring someone down and, you know, stay in my wingtip and follow my wingtip down. But this is what I'm going to 
speeds I'm going to go, and this is when you should slow down to this speed, and this is this is how far you have to run to the end of the runway, and blah blah blah, and so on and so forth. But all of that was not um, uh, accurate, so he allowed me to rewrite my section and and also what the pilot was observing. Uh, uh, Radcliffe was re- observing at the time of his failures, so he literally was lost in space, do you know? Um, so, uh, that, that was really good. And, um, that was part of our uh, agreement was that he would allow me to, to, uh, help. And then I had some music cues ideas, you know, my favorite is, you know, I said, look, I, I'm only going to request one thing. And that is when that jet takes off and the landing, um, the landing gear comes up and the, landing lights of the runway disappear and the snow-capped mountains and the sparkling stars are there. I want the cue of Carol of the Bells to go ring, ding, ding, ding. Every turn, the, every turn the plane makes, I want it like an orchestrational instructor, you know, just uh, move it to the rhythm of the music. And I said, it will be spectacular with those visuals. And I was absolutely uh, correct. I, I knew that it would be effective and it, and it was. And I said, thank you so much for, you know, cause when I was going to, you know, to own the project, that's how I visualized that whole section. I said, Oh, if I ever make this into a movie, I'm going to put this as my first musical cue. And then um, the other thing I asked them to do is to please establish during the flight, his fantasy of what it's like with the family waiting at home, the mother, the girlfriend, the Christmassy atmosphere in the house in England, because it wasn't in there at first. It was just the trouble, you know, just the first phone call at the base. And then you didn't, you didn't hear about them or see them. And I said, you've got to touch base with, with what he's, you know, that he's, what he thinks they're doing, waiting for him while he's waiting to die. They're waiting for him to have this holiday. You know, and I said, I want to see them, you know, again, so we know what we're losing. We know how how awful he must feel. And um, boy, Ben just just killed that. He just did a beautiful job. And, but again, having the, the cut tos uh, of the family, it was really um, important, you know. Um, and I was very, very happy about that very proud of this movie it's like one of my because it's, i've only had a few passion projects in my life and this being one of the top ones and the next one uh, will be my little book i wrote propeller runway night coach i want to make that into a movie a short and it will hopefully maybe use some of the same team and have the same effect uh, but in a different scenario yeah. So one of the, and I, I remember you mentioning that, that, uh, that, that other project that you're, you're hoping to, to, to get made really excited about that. Uh, that, that was one of the things that really stuck with me the last time we talked. One of the moments that got me in the shepherd and both the, the actual short story and the, uh, the, the short film is there's that moment where Freddie says he's not scared to die. He's just sad about what he's going to miss. And God, does that, it just got me. It's so yeah. effective. So effective. It, Isn't it? it? It really, it really is. 
like I just really want everyone that's listening to us right now to obviously finish the finish this episode, but then watch this. And it's available on Disney Plus, and and it's it's incredible. It's special, and I really feel like much like in Canada around Christmas time every year, you would be able to hear this on the radio. I'm hoping that this becomes a annual tradition for people to watch this. Dana, I'm certain of it. I you know. Once in a while, you know, once in a while you have a certainty about something. And it doesn't happen very often in this business. I had a certainty about Greece. I was never worried about it being a giant hit because I'd lived with it for a year on the National Road Company on Broadway. And I just knew it. I knew it comes. This is one of those films where I have no doubt about it. It, it so resonates right to the heart and soul of people that it will be a Christmas classic, you know, um, uh, I remember my friend, uh, Anson who produces with me now and writes as well, but, um, I was worried about Michael, the movie, Michael, and, um, he wouldn't hear it. He said, I'm sorry. I'm just not worried about it. It's going to be a big hit. And I said, I don't know. I, I doubted it. And blah, blah, blah. He said, Nope, sorry. I'm not going to indulge you. It's, it's, I'm just not going to waste the time. And that's how I feel about, the about uh the shepherd i I just have this feeling you know it's already getting tremendous uh, response but i just i'm just bullish about how it's going to resonate forever just like the yearly you know radio show did in canada that uh, i would share with everybody you know because you get a copy of it too um and i would share with everyone we'd play it at home as i said um, every Christmas, sometimes Christmas Eve, sometimes the, the week after. Um, and everybody responded to just listening to it. Now you get the visual with it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, honestly, it's just it's just joyous. It's inter- I agree with you. Yeah. And I'll say this, you know, the I reached out to because I watched this two days ago and I reached out to a lot of my fellow podcasting colleagues and sort of my cinema friends. And I said, you know, have you watched The Shepherd yet? You need to watch it. And the response I got back from almost everybody was immediate. And it was thank you. Thank you for thank you for putting this on my radar. I can't wait to share this with everyone else. And and that's the magic of, of what this project is. I mean, it, it it's yeah. it's clearly something that's been part of my life for 35 plus years. And it just, I, again, I just want to take you back to that moment a couple days ago when I'm watching this. I'm going, I'm loving this. This is so familiar to me. And it just <laughs> all came full circle. And here I am talking to you and you're in it. And it's just an incredible sort of serendipitous moment for me. And I, I just think it's it's magical. That's the best way to describe The Shepherd. It's, it's just magical. So. It really is. And it, it's so subtle in its sentiment. It, it's not. It doesn't push buttons. It just gently invites you to feel it, to feel the Christmas spirit, to feel man's love for each other and hopefulness and and uh, all that stuff. It's just in gen- it, 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 like any good piece of art invites you in. It doesn't push you away and it lures you in uh, and it doesn't doesn't manipulate. It just is what it is. Here's an example. I had a friend tonight said. Um, said uh, uh, someone was just bragging on your new film and he he, he said um, the accolades are huge 
it sounds right up my alley. And then I get a, an email from Barbara Streisand <laughs> saying, um, what did she say here? I have her email here. And, um, and then her husband texted me separately telling me how much he loved. He's a pilot as well. But she said how much she loved the shepherd and, and uh, went on about it. So, you know, I'm not even soliciting uh, these things and it's coming in because it's, it's it has its own power, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's so, so lovely to be part of something like this, you know. Did you, was it understood when this project was greenlit that it was going to go uh, through Disney? Was Disney always going to be the uh, sort of the studio behind? Now, what happened was Bill Kenwright financed this and uh, Ian softly uh, with the cinematographer from Gladiator uh, agreed to do it. So we were already, and then they got me involved. And then um, Alfonso from Disney Plus got wind. He said, that's my favorite book. Hmm. He said, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this. I'll even help with financing if you need it. But, you know, I wanted a Disney Plus because he, he has this like niche uh, of short films each year that he, he produces and he does very well with them. And he said, but I have to be part of this. So he was kind of insisting that, that, and, and so Disney plus was kind of a beautiful after, after um, for not, it, it wasn't after production. It was after it was all set up. Then they got involved and then we all did it together. Disney plus was definitely involved when I was shooting it. So, it was before production started that Disney was definitely involved, but, but it was because it was already something that had come to fruition and um, they wanted to be part of it. And before we even started, so we, we had the luxury of having the, the machine of Disney plus help us sort out all the production details, which is very helpful. Meaning, you know, you need that when you want to do a high end you know, make a short look like it's a long movie, which is what it does it's 38 minutes, but it feels like it's a two hour movie because it's so beautiful. It's, it doesn't rush itself as a short. It, it just tells its story and, and, and unroll and, and, and rolls out effortlessly. But all that is helped is helped by having a machine like a Disney plus that can sort out, to make all your, you know, so the artists really just deliver what they need to deliver. So, you know, the post-production stuff was very important, the visuals, the music, and they had the money now to get it right, you know, and um, so all that was very important. So, yeah, that's how, how Disney got involved. And it's interesting because they have a lot of content on Disney+, Plus, and when I fired up Disney+, Plus, right there, opening page, there it was like they're 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 definitely throwing their full support behind this project and i think that's just awesome i mean just awesome and they have hundreds of millions of subscribers like it's everybody's getting an opportunity to see this and 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 they should and it's just incredible yeah that's the advantage of having a big epic you know company behind your work you you get it seen and i have a feeling i mean just knock on wood and it wouldn't even matter if it didn't happen but i have a feeling it has a very serious chance to be nominated in the short film category 
because you have a lot of people that are already aware of all the the artists involved in this you see so they're kind of waiting for this this you know it's got a little bit of a you know a step up on 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 others because it's not just because it's good but, but because of the of the people involved what has to happen for it to qualify to does it have to screen now i know that feature films have to have a, a limited theatrical run to qualify but in the yes and uh, this did a month and i think it, has, it did a month in la uh okay it's got a uh, there's some criteria and i think it's a month in an la theater where where academy members have access and maybe in in new york or london but it's got to have some theatrical presence as a short to uh, to qualify and and you know when you're involved with a big company they make sure that they qualify and and then you start like i had i flew to i flew to england uh about a month ago uh to um no no wait not a month ago it's just two weeks ago two two weeks ago i got back from england to to sit with the british academy and the u.s academy they had two screenings, uh, and there was critics and there was academy members uh, to to show the feature. Uh, and I'll do the same in January uh, in L.A. So this is uh, this is par for the course, if you will. And so it went super well, as I knew it would. And I'll repeat that in January. So all the all the, the things we're supposed to do to be nominated are are being done and therefore you know but again it's one of those things you know you just love so much that that an award would be lovely but it, it's uh if it doesn't it's not going to change how people feel about it or how impactful it, it is it will just verify you know that, that there's some agreement you know with with that group but um I, I'm really thrilled that you feel I, I did not know until you told me that you were familiar with the piece. I was thinking, what is he going to tell me? Why is he saying this? I thought, does he, is it because he, I told him a story about my electrical failure or that I owned this plane years ago? Like, why does he think this story is familiar? And when he said Canada yearly, the radio show, and that was my familiarity with it. But I had read the book first. And then when I heard there was an audio of it is when I tuned into that, you know, and you could buy it. You could still buy it as an audio of the book. Oh, by the way, Frederick Forsyth came to the screening <laughs> and I love him. He's just he's a great writer. You know, he's done terrific work, uh, Decifile and you name I mean, he's got 12 or 13 excellent books he's written. Uh, he must be 85 or six or something. And uh, he's fine. He's in good health. And I said, Freddie, you are going to love this movie. He said, we did it. We did your book. We played homage to your book. We, we definitely, I said, you're going to be so happy. He said, well, I'm really looking forward to it. So we see it and we get up, um, the director and I get in front of the audience and there's a commentator who's the number one critic in Britain in England. And uh, he and I say before anybody talks, I said, Freddie, well, and he looked at me and I swear to you, his smile looked like he was 30 years old. He just lit up like a Christmas tree. And he said to me, fantastic. And I just my heart 
stop. I was so thrilled with his response because I always like pleasing the writer of, of, a, of a book. You know, same thing with Elmore Leonard when I did Get Shorty and Be Cool. He was just so happy with the movies that depicted his book so uh, his book so well. This is what happened with Freddie Forsyth and the Shepherd. He just was thrilled with the outcome. And that look he gave me and his eyes sparkling and uh, it's fantastic. I mean, I was just, I, I could cry thinking about his reaction, you know, just great. I mean, that just made me get very, very uh, almost teary eyed there when you said, you know, a smile made him look like he was 30 years old because, uh, you know, Frederick Forsyth, you know, I, I'm very familiar with him as, as a writer. And that is just that's an incredibly heartwarming little story you just told right there about about his reaction to seeing the shepherd. Absolutely heartwarming. You know, I will say yeah. this, John. If there's one thing I'm I'm a l- slightly jealous of right now is yeah, like I'm a huge cinephile, big movie guy. Been doing a podcast about movies in the film industry for ten years. I've I've grown up on it. I love going to the movies, and I have yeah. uh, you know I have a seventy inch you know nice. 4K flat screen. I want to watch when I'm watching movies at home. I want to have the best experience possible. But my dream would to be would be to see the shepherd on the biggest screen possible because there are some sweeping oh. shots in this. Th- so the fact that you've you've done screenings of this, so you I was that was going to be my next question, and I'm jealous you got to see this on the big screen. Yes, and it was it does oh does it belong on the big screen or what? I mean, this movie it works no matter how you watch it. On the big screen, it is breathtaking. The cinematography is, but you know, look at Gladiator. I mean, this is this is this is heavy. These are heavyweights that were involved with this short. This is this is not this this is as good as you get, you know. And the visuals on this is just amazing, you know. And uh, I'm a big I'm a big visual music person when it comes to movies. I I believe they they can give anywhere from fifty percent to seventy five percent of the quality of the communication, and and you can prove my point by just eliminating shots from movies and music from movies and go, wow, I don't even think I'd watch. I think that movie was very good without that music or that that visual or that angle or that you know, lighting, you know, it's, it's so important. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it just is when you think of the, like a man and a woman, or you think of breakfast at Tiffany's without the music, without the way it was shot, you don't have a movie, do you know? So I think in this little film, the visuals and the music were quintessential uh, part of it, do you know? And this boy, oh my God, um, Ben Radcliffe, I just can't, tell you how impressed I am with his subtlety in this. He didn't have a false note. I mean, there was not a false note. And I remember when I was in when doing my side, we shot my side first. And I remember I was being, you know, kind of uh, encouraged to maybe do a little more. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to do this exactly how I would do it. I want to give this pilot that I'm guiding down confidence. And I do that with being certain and um, confident myself and and articulate exactly what I want him to do. And then he mirrored that with when 
even that first moment when he looks over and he sees, oh my God, someone's going to save me. And I look at him and I nod and he nods back. We had the same nod. It was perfect. It was, it was just what you would want, what you would believe, what you would uh, fantasize is the truth of the moment, you know, and, and nothing else. It was just, just lovely. So it's just a great, Talk to me just for a moment, as such an accomplished pilot that you are, what do you think about when you think about the actual shepherds, these pilots that that risked everything to help other pilots find the runway, get down safe? I mean, what as a pilot, what does that mean to you? Well, the thing is that, uh, you know, Robert Altman, who was in World War II, the famous director, the brilliant director, you know, he um, he directed a movie about this. Uh, to some degree. And he said, um, you know, he said, I was there. The saddest thing about the pilots in World War II is that they were all only given five hours of training and then they were forced to fly. He said, the reason there are so many crashes is they didn't know what they were doing. They, they were, they were just had enough time to learn how to take off and land. And, then they were sent up on these missions. And so there was no emergency trainings or so. He said there, he said, I watched it with my own eyes. He said, that's half the fatalities were inexperienced because they did not have the time to, to train them at a level that was needed. So, you know, the shepherds were definitely mandatory because you're, you're, you you sent up ill-fated pilots to begin with, you know. No, no, that's not the case. And the shepherd, because he he you know lost his genuinely lost his electric and all lost all his total instrument failure. That's different. But you your question was about what do I think about any of these pilots that helped others come down? I mean, uh, it was uh, it was not only an incredible gesture, but it was mandatory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the necessity level was high. For that group sure the shepherd is currently on disney plus it's available worldwide yeah. right now in closing is there anything else that you'd like to let the listeners know uh, about just how special this this project is to you when you see it you'll know why it would be special to someone like myself but it will be special to the viewer as well um i think and it's something that you'll want to watch more than once and it's with the speed of particle of today's uh, lifestyle it's exactly the right amount of time (laughs) you know in a busy schedule a christmas holiday that's about how much time you have to give to some piece of entertainment you know so uh you're 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 gonna you're gonna love it it's one of those things where i'm not i don't have to sell it you know it's it's one of these things that just when you see it 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 sells itself beautifully you know there's no there's no pitch to to do on it you know it's just something that let it let it entertain you visually and let it let it strike you musically and let it strike you in its storytelling and just let it you you'll feel like you're watching a full-length movie that's the interesting thing it doesn't ever it doesn't ever look like it's it's a short you know yeah and there's not a there's not a wasted moment in this film 
There's not a moment yeah. where there's so many movies now where you, you can go, oh, you know, you know, for the sake of time, you could cut this down a little bit or you could do this. I could see how you could trim a little of this out of there. Watching this, it's so tight. And I say that as a compliment. It's so perfectly paced. And it is it's Fiction. it's it's one of these things when it was over. I was like, I just want a little more. <laughs> I just want to see just yeah. a little bit more well, of this. You know what I didn't tell you, which is very interesting. Part of this, it was, um, I objected to it, but they wanted to make it a full-length movie, and they said, "No, you, you, you can't. It's, it doesn't. It's not going to be a full-length movie." But they wrote a script anyway, and I read it, and it just didn't work for for me as a full-length movie, and nor did it for Alfonso, the Disney Plus person. So by the time we all agreed to do it, it was down to the length that that it should have been. But there was a moment where there was some enthusiasm about making it a, a two-hour movie, and um, or a full-length movie, I should say. And uh, and I think everybody um, agrees that it was better with what we, we ended up doing. But it is efficiently edited and efficiently to- um, told. And, uh, and, and, but in all the right ways, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. So John, thank you for taking some, some time out of your, out of your schedule to talk to me. And, and I was, I'm just thrilled to be able to talk to you about the shepherd. It was such an awesome experience. I'd like to say this, of course, it'll become a Christmas tradition, but I'm going to watch this a few times every year because I'm a big aviation guy. I'm a big fan of yours. As you know, it's a magical story. So thank you for being on the show. Uh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. It's my biggest pleasure is to be on your show. And uh, you always take, take uh, uh, just good care of me. But at the same time, you are so, so insightful about everything that you, you discuss. It's uh, cut above. So I appreciate your intelligence on all this stuff. I really appreciate that, John. Thank you so much. And, and we will definitely talk soon. And for everybody listening, my name is Dana Buckler. My guest today was the one and only John Travolta. The Shepherd is currently streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon.